Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. Jamie is out. We have an able-bodied replacement in Harry Swarthout, who is helping us produce. And our guest this week, Max Eisenbud. Max runs the tennis division at IMG WME. Um, we had a request to have a career day and get someone in who could talk about what it's like to work in tennis and be an agent. And I thought Max would be uh, a great guest, and he was. But this also coincided with the announcement of Maria Sharapova's retirement. Maria was a longtime client of Max's, and so we pushed Max a week to talk about Maria last week, got Max in this week. So here's a discussion about tennis agenting, but also Max's probably best-known client, Maria Sharapova. Here's Max. Hey, welcome. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. No problem. Good to be here. Where are you? Where are we getting you? Uh, my new office is in Miami, Coral Gables, so um, got a nice view of some nice blue sky. All right, we'll t- we'll take that, and then you'll you'll get desert uh, you'll get desert in a week. I'm guessing. Yeah, I'm uh, leaving for Los Angeles uh, tomorrow for a couple days for meetings, and then I'll head down to Palm Springs for a week. We'll we'll talk about this later. I always feel like that those few days before Indian Wells would be a great Tennis Channel documentary on how every player uses that window to uh, do all their endorsement work in L.A. But um, I I I brought you on, like I said. We talked before the big announcement of uh, of one of your clients last week because uh, we were going to do this career day style. Someone suggested we get an agent on the podcast to talk about working in tennis and getting started. So why, why don't we talk a little career day first, and then maybe we can talk a bit about Maria, if that's cool. Sure. So, sure. I, I mean, you know, let's let's just kind of play career day. I'm sure you get asked to to speak fairly often and talk about how you got into this and what your job is like. I mean, why, why don't we start general and then just kind of work backwards? How, how'd you get into this racket and what is, uh, you know, it's, it's the week of March 2nd to 6th. What is, uh, what are these five days like for you? I mean, so for me, I, uh, grew up playing, uh, you know,
know, tennis and uh, was a nationally ranked junior player and, and got a scholarship to play at Purdue University. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously was not good enough to play at the next level, but wanted to, um, you know, stay involved in the sport. And um, it was interesting now that I look back, it, 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 it's kind of sad that, you know, growing up, no one was actually telling me that if you wanted to, you know, have a, a career in tennis that you could. Um, I kind of stumbled on it after I graduated college and, and just started to learn more about Mark McCormick and IMG and, and uh, just really became a little obsessed that I wanted to, wanted to work there and, and was able to get kind of my dream job uh, in 2000. And, uh, you know, we started working at the IMG tennis division, but, you know, in most fields, when you know, um, you know, what you're looking to do, you start doing summer internships during college to, to kind of set yourself up, um, to get into that field. And, and for whatever reason, nobody around me, you know, told me that. So, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I would have tried to internship at maybe Nike, uh, in one summer or go to the ATP one summer or IMG. Um, I think it's changed a little bit now where, you know, now there's all sorts of degrees in sports management and stuff and, and people are, are getting exposed to, you know, what is possible. But back then, you know, I didn't go about it as probably I should have, but ultimately was able to get to IMG, um, and I'm very grateful for that. I'd say it worked out okay for you. What, what does IMG give you when you're there 20 years? You, you get the the hundred dollar Barney's gift certificate that uh, that we used to get. Uh, I'm not. They, they give you an office think, overlooking Biscayne Bay. Yeah, I think they I think they just let you uh, keep working. What uh, there's there's a stock option joke in there somewhere. What um, who was your first client? First client I ever signed myself all by myself was a, 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 a Romanian tennis player named Horia Takau, who is one of the premier doubles players. He's been top 10 in doubles for a long time. He carried, didn't he carry, he carry the flag at the Olympics? In a, yeah, he's uh, won a couple grand slams. Just a great kid. I signed him when he was 14. Um, that was my first kind of signing all by myself with not really anybody helping spotted him. Um, I thought he was going to be top 10 in singles, but he became top 10 in doubles. But at the time I learned a lot. He was a top junior and just learned that, the you know, he was in Romania. We moved him to uh, IMG Academy, all that process, uh, doing his first clothing deal and racket deal. So I kind of cut my teeth uh, on that. And then from there, I, on my own, I signed Max Murney. Um, who was another great client and somebody who I'm very close with today that, again, he got, I think, top 20 in singles and was able to cut my teeth on. But also on that time, I started working with Maria at age 11, um, who was already at IMG at age 11. She just signed at IMG, and then I was able to, I started my career at the academy in Bradenton, and that's where she was, and I met her and her dad, and kind of the rest is history. I mean, the I imagine people think of agents and they think, you know, that the top line is this is transactional and, and your job is to land endorsements. But 
I, I think those of us in tennis know uh, that it's not quite a full description of the job. What People ask you what you do. What do you tell them? I laugh and tell them I'm a professional babysitter. Um, <laughs> Why do you laugh? No. Right. Uh, you know, listen, the job is, uh, you know, the great thing is you come to work every day and you never know what it's going to be like. Um, and you got to be on your toes, and that's exciting. But, I mean, you know, I could be booking a client's private jet, um, doing on one call the next deal, next call maybe I'm, negotiating a multi-million dollar Nike deal and the next call uh, have to fire a coach or I uh, somebody's looking to change their flight because they're uh, you know going they just lost in Doha and they need to get to Dubai the next day so you know my office I mean and as a young agent you're doing all of that mm-hmm. stuff and then as you gradually build your client roster and move up you have an assistant and and then a team um, that's doing a lot of that stuff. But, you know, my office, servicing the clients, making their life as easy as possible, because it's not easy living on the road 30, 35 weeks a year, um, traveling. Um, You know, it's little things. You know, I try to explain to somebody, if your client is in Tokyo and they're just lost and they have to go play in Europe, and they're flying over to Europe, and they land at 6 a.m., and they have to play in two days, you need to make sure that that hotel is ready when they arrive at 6 a.m. at the hotel. They don't have to sit around for five hours. So maybe you're booking that hotel the night before to make sure that when they arrive, they can get good sleep, so they're going to have a 5 p.m. practice. So all these little nuances, um, just trying to make the client's uh, life as easy as possible as they're globetrotting around the world uh, is kind of, you know, our responsibility. How many days are you on the road? How much are you traveling? I've been consistently doing 20 to 22 weeks a year, which is not easy. Uh, what you're describing sounds like a, a lot of improvisation. Uh, I mean, it sounds like a lot of sort of troubleshooting and, and putting out fires. If I'm in high school or if I'm in college and this is something that I think appeals to me, what are what are skills that you would want to develop? I mean, what, what do you wish you'd known about this before you'd entered the business, given that you you don't go to agent school, you sort of learn on the fly? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's, you, it's hard to, in this field, to really, you know, go to school and in a classroom. You got to, you have to really, um, you know, experience it. You know, at IMG, we... A lot of the training we do through our assistants, you know, somebody will be, you know, maybe on my desk for two or three years, uh, learning the businesses, all the nuances, and then graduating to becoming an agent. Um, You know, listen, in our business, you know, you really need to see the problems before they're happening. You know, if if you're reacting, it's too late. So the anticipation of that example I gave you about traveling into from Japan to Europe or visa issue, you know, the, a lot of, you know, visa situations when you're, you know, you have a coach that has a Russian passport and another coach that has a Romanian passport, you know, watch, you know, visas they need. So, you know, in our, in our world, you know, being proactive, having the vision uh, to be able to see problems uh, three or four steps before they happen is important. 
But I would just say somebody who's young, and I try to tell them, you know, give yourself. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer in the internships. You know, try to, um, you know, get different experiences. You know, there's a lot of executives out there um, that um, are really good at giving internships. You know, I'm somebody I love give, having internships. I love giving young people an opportunity. I'm not somebody that needs someone to get me coffee. I'm actually letting them read contracts and, and, and get involved and get their hands dirty. So if you can find those executives, they usually have a reputation and try to get, you know, with them. Um, but yeah, just, you know, try to get different experiences and in your summers in college and, 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 and build relationships. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you talk about troubleshooting, things like early check-in and, and visa are, are important, but they're they're sort of day-to-day micro stuff. I mean, how much big-picture troubleshooting do you do? I mean, do, do you say to a player, hey, hey, listen, I think your mom's a distraction. Maybe you need to leave her home or fire the coach or you need a new racket. I mean, how big-picture do you get in, in your troubleshooting? All that. Everything that you mentioned. I mean, and it's sensitive. Um and, uh, you know, your, your job is to help, especially, you know, at IMG, we're signing a lot of young players, 12, 13, 14 years old, and, and helping to navigate their career. Um, so you're, you know, looking, you know, 18 months ahead on scheduling and coaching and, and where's the right place to play. And, and if you're a really good junior, how do you transition um, into the pros? Um, so we're doing a lot of thinking about that, and that's something that, you know, all of our agents are uh, always communicating about, you know, um, because there's no cookie cutter. You know, maybe what worked for Maria didn't work right, for Lena right, right, is right, not going right. to work for Madison Keys. So, you know, you really need to um, try to understand your player, what makes them tick, um, you know, and the biggest thing for me and and my learnings from the players that have played well, um, there's always been one common thread around their success, and that's that there always have been calm waters around them when they're winning their big tournaments. Whether they're they're at ease, whether whether they're at ease with their their coach, they're at ease with their family, they're at ease in their relationships. It's just very difficult to win when there's turbulence around you. Um, and as the agent, you're just always trying to, to to get calm around the player, and that's not easy when you have a lot of layers. You have a lot of play, you know, family, uncles, coaches, people. So uh, that's something that for me that I'm always looking to achieve is is calm around my players. That's really interesting. What what um, I mean, I get, what I've never figured out about this business is what is it like when so much of your success depends on the success of the player. I mean, you, you could be the greatest agent in the history of tennis agenting, but if, if Horia Takao isn't winning singles matches, you know, you're, you're probably not killing it uh, in the office. I mean, wh- what is it like yeah. knowing that 
the ultimately the success of someone else is determining your success to some level. Yeah, I mean that's 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 not uh, that's not an easy part of the job, and and what ends up happening is you know you really become part of these players' uh, families, uh, especially when you're signing them young and you live and die with the results. And you know when your player loses a heartbreaker in the quarterfinals, seven five in the third, and a and a grand slam, you're you know it it affects you for a few days because you know what that win would have done for the player, how bad they wanted all the things that they've been through. So it's, you know, it's not an easy part of the job. What do you like during matches? If I, if I sat by you during a match, what would you be like with one of your clients was playing? I'm not, I'm not someone, I'm a mess, you know, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, the agent sometimes just imagine this, you know, when you're, you know, people won't under, won't believe this, but when you're um, representing a, 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 a superstar, top player, when they win their quarterfinal match at a Grand Slam, within an hour, you will get multiple emails from all their sponsors asking you to approve their win ad in if they win the grand slam that they're prepping um, that they're prepping for that Saturday. Correct. And it's the worst emails to get because you know that they got to beat, you know, two amazing players to get that and your mind is already having to go there um and um and approve these things and you start working on the tours about where the winning photo is going to be and so for those Next 48 hours, you're in this total zone of preparing for something that might not happen. Right. Um, right. And then when it doesn't happen, there's such a letdown. Now, the player doesn't know all this is going on, and the, and the coaches don't know all this. Is, but as the agent, you get thrusted into this, um, this, this world for the next 48 hours. And for me, that's always something um that uh that's hard to deal with i mean and so you're sitting in the match watching your player play and there's 14,000 people watching and you're the only one that knows that the ceo of one of your sponsors just texted and said hey i'm sitting down with my family and we can't wait to watch your player play and good luck and when the player starts losing in your mind you're like jesus the ceo is sitting here watching this what a disaster so all these things are going on in your mind because you have all this information. Um, so it's hard. It's really hard. How much do you, I mean, if I put you under oath here, same, same topic, but I mean, how, how much are you thinking about money and how much do you think the players are? I mean, if, if you have a player in the, you, you mentioned the quarterfinals of a major, I mean, that's, that's four sets away from transformational wealth. H- how much are you thinking about that? How much is the player? Um, I think every player is a little different. I think once the players are getting to that round, um, they're pretty in the kind of tunnel vision zone of just trying to get the job done. I mean, I think as agents, you're definitely thinking about, um, you know, how to capitalize, um, you know, what are the, what's the low hanging fruit if they win, what we need to do, what does it look like? Um, I think the players are pretty locked in to just, um, you know, their dream is always to been win a Grand Slam or win this big tournament. And I think it's more dealing with that than so much of the dollar signs for the player. Um, 
What about and the, the agent? The agent is, 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 you know, that's their job. That's, you know, that's why they're with you. So when these opportunities happen, you know, that you can capitalize and do the right thing for your player. I always wondered this about tennis agents. When I used to cover the NBA, these these agents would always they they would disparage each other to, uh, you know, they they would speak ill of each other. But you know, it's um, they'd see each other maybe at All Star Weekend, but a lot of times they wouldn't run into each other. In tennis, you guys are seeing each other in the lounge at virtually every tournament. It's kind of a small ecosystem. What what's the relationship among different agents? It's a good question. I mean, I, I think the one great thing about our sport um, is there's a, there's a lot of really good people in our sport. And, um, you know, and there's good agents and good people at our competitors. And, and um, you know, I, you know, like you said, it is a small, you know, the Grand Slams become conventions for our industry, you know, so a lot of business is being done. And I think there's a lot of pretty good relationships. I think I have, um, you know, a lot of good relationships with other agents. I have a lot of respect for them. We compete hard against each other. Um, you know, there's a lot of agents out there that used to be colleagues of mine at IMG um, that are out there building their businesses and everything. So I think there's a lot of respect. Uh, I think we compete hard. Um, you know, there's many years growing up in the business that, you know, we used to play basketball, a lot of agents uh, together in Australia and different cities. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the the, the industry, um, we're pretty tight. What's, what sort of, uh, what's the state of the business? I mean, I, I guess my question, how many players need agents? How many players are there that you can make money on? I mean, obviously, if, if Maria Sharapova is your client, if, if Federer Nadal... Serena, I mean, if, if a handful of players are a client, I'm sure back of the envelope math, there's a lot of money in commissions to be made. How far down does that list go? I mean, is, is the number 60 player in the world, is that player's agent making money on them? Okay, if the number 60 player in the world from China, yes. Um, so a lot of it is from what market they're from, their domestic market. Um, you know, there's a lot of players that can do very well um in the country that they live yeah i think it's definitely an issue in our industry in our industry that there's not more uh players uh, making a living but you know it's 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 tough you know there's a lot of competition in a lot of different sports and a lot of different industries um the competitiveness for those top players in those great markets are are fierce um but, um, yeah, I mean, I do, you know, there, you know, I sometimes wonder how, you know, I see these agency, these agents traveling all over the world and they have three or four clients that are, you know, barely make it in the grand slam. I do, you know, sometimes I do wonder how they do it. Um, you know, we've been lucky at IMG that we're, you know, really global and, um, you know, we've got, you know, some of our, some of our top earning clients that in the IMG tennis division are, are retired clients, you know, uh, you know, Lee Na still has a huge business. Um, uh, Shuzo in Japan is one of our top, you know, he, you know, he got really? the top 20 in Japan. He's a big, he, he makes a ton of money and, and commentating and, and TV and stuff. So, um, 
you know, John McEnroe is still a big earner for, for us. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you start looking at it that way and there's, there's, there's a lot of opportunity. But put a number on that though, Ruff. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying about it depends on the player and seniority and the country that they come from, but how, how many players are there, men and women who, whose agents are making a living at this? Does a, does a number 75 player need an agent? Um, if the 75 player is 32 years old and, and from, you know, a country that, you know, like America where it's really competitive and that is his only client, he will not be able to make a living. But if the player is 19 years old and, and 75 in the world and can move up to top 20, then there's potential for that. Um, I, 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 again, I mean, you know, well, we it's have, a volume game too, at some level, right? That you, you, you try not to have one client, I imagine. Yeah. I mean, so we have, you know, I'm overseeing 20 or so agents in the IMG tennis division globally. And obviously all those people are making a living. Let's, um, this, this was great. I mean, this is when, when somebody, requested we get you on to talk about uh, the the business and your background i think this is exactly what they they had in mind um I, ironically enough we were we were talking about doing this uh and days later your one of your stalwart clients maria sharapova announced her retirement what um what's the last week been like for you well i mean the last couple of weeks since actually the australian open has been um uh i've described it as emotional I think uh, all most of us or all of us that's been close that are really close in Maria's inner circle knew that this was uh, you know going to happen sooner than later. I think most of us were probably hoping it would have happened uh, earlier, but you know when you know an athlete needs to make kind of their own decision. So you know first it was you know very emotional um, something. I think the hardest thing for me and my relationship with Maria and I've been with her since she's 11 is usually we, you know, we're very close when it comes to business and we, and we, um, balance a lot of things off of each other and, and, uh, are very honest with each other. But when, you know, when it comes to some, a decision like this, you know, it's really hard for, for somebody like myself to, to help somebody make a decision. I mean, it's really one of the first times that I, you know, had to say, Hey, Maria, this is, this is something that you got to, you know, really soul search. And, and there's not really much that I can, can help you on this, you know? Right. Um, right. so that was one of the, the kind of first times in our, in our 20 year relationship where there wasn't really much guidance that I could help her on that. Um, I actually was the one that suggested that she reach out to Kobe, um, because they've had such a great relationship and, 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 uh, you know, he went through it, obviously, and, and somebody like him could give you re- the, the information that I could never, I could never give. Um, You're talking in terms of, of when to, when to say when or, and when to try and persist. Yeah, when to say one of the signs that it's time and, mm-hmm. and, and all those type of things that I'm sure all great athletes have to go through, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not a great athlete, so that was hard mm-hmm. for me to help her. So, you know, as she was wrestling with that, um, you know, you just support her. And then, um, you know, once she makes her final decision, 
then it's, you know, you know, you put your business hat on and you, you, you go about, you know, how you're going to do it, how she wants to do it. You know, she had a vision for the way she wanted to do it. And then, you know, for the couple of weeks we went to work and tried to make her vision, you know, come to light. And when you're going through that, you're just tunnel vision on trying to, you know, make it the way she wants it. And then you're not thinking, you're not really that emotional. You're just really into it. And then once it happens, you know, I got in uh, on that Wednesday at 7 a.m. to my office. I was strong and happy. And then, you know, 8 o'clock, we knew it was going to go live. And 8.01, I was crying like a baby. So You were. um, That that day was very emotional. I would hate to see what happens when – an announcement like that sneaks up on you. You you had time to prepare. What? How? Uh, how'd she? I mean, are, are you? You know, take this wherever you want, and I don't want to overstep here. But how's how's she holding up? I mean, it's one of these things where you you can make the decision, you can write your first person piece, but it's a new experience. You don't know how you're going to react and how you're going to feel till you go through it. How how's Maria been this last week? I mean, since the moment she made the decision a few weeks ago, she's been totally. I've never seen her so happy, relieved. Um, you know, she went skiing. She's doing things that she's never done. I, I you know, her her body just feels better. I mean, she, the thing that people really don't understand, and it's understandable because Maria is pretty close and and don't doesn't let you in. But for the last eighteen months, um, she was in a lot of pain. I mean, her forearms. People don't really know this. Her forearms had such chronic tendonitis. Um, there were several matches that she had to pull out of because of the forearms that she blamed on the shoulder. I mean, the shoulder was also bad too, but not trying to bring in more injuries. Um, the amount of procedures and injections that she had in her forearms and her shoulder, I mean, it was really, really hard for anybody who loves her to watch her go through it. Um, she was just a warrior trying to do everything possible. Um, she couldn't practice much. She couldn't practice or serve much. Um, and uh, it was just really difficult. So I think there's a lot of relief. And she's, again, you just never seen her really happy. I've had so many people that have seen photos of her on, on social media in the last couple of days. And they said they've never, they could just see, you know, how relaxed and good she looks. So, so, she definitely made the right decision. I, I was toggling last night back between uh, the Super Tuesday results and uh, Joe Conta, Kim Kleisters. If you're laying odds on Maria giving this another shot, um, as so many players do, and rethinking this retirement, um, what, what kind of odds are you laying? There's zero chance. <laughs> I mean, she won't play. I mean, she's not. I mean, we had exhibitions lined. I don't think you'll see her ever play tennis publicly again what, what do you think we'll keep going though what, what do you think her relationship with tennis will be i mean it seems like there's a pretty big range for that for former players where does she fit into tennis going forward if we're not going to hold our breath waiting for uh an unretirement um you know i i think i think that um she needs to replace that competitiveness that she that she had that everybody saw. And I think she will, I know she's going to bring that into business and she's already, um, become an animal in these few weeks of everything. I mean, she had a lot of things that she wants to do, gave her, me and her team, a big list of 
initiatives that she wants to do. Uh, so I think that she's going to, um, all her focus is going to be in her businesses and building businesses and buying businesses. And um, I don't see much in the tennis part. Um, you know, I don't think you'll see her at Grand Slams. Um, I don't think you'll, uh, she'll, obviously she has zero interest in commentating and all that kind of stuff. So I don't, I don't think it'll be, I don't think it'll be that great. She's a short car ride away from Tennis Channel. Just, just throwing that out there. Um, that was a joke. What you know? Can I ask you a, a question about her? When she announced her retirement, you know, you're I'm sure on social media at least a bit, and you know, sports are tribal more so than ever. Social media only accelerates this, but you know, not not every remark and not every career obituary was was a hundred percent. Well, wishing. I mean, this this was a polarized response as we probably could have predicted. What is, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't want to litigate anything and put you in a position of, of defending or not defending. I'm just as an agent. What is it like when you see all this fire being directed at your player? What what is your reaction when you see your player come under criticism? Um, I mean, that's part of the business. I think you can say that about anybody. You know, there's, you know, there's. Some people love you. Some people hate you. There's very few players, um, celebrities, actors that 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 have a hundred percent, you know, love. Um, you know, listen, Maria. The one thing I I love about her is she she's very real. Um, she's not fake. Um, she her relationship with the fellow players on tour it's been the same from the first minute she walked on the, on the, on the tour when she was 14 to she left, she respects all the players, but we know that she's not looking for friends on the tour. So it makes sense that on retirement, you know, there was, you know, I actually thought there was more players, uh, uh, saying nice things publicly. I mean, she got a ton, ton of nice emails from a lot of players, um, personally. And Maria is the type of person she when she doesn't believe really in you know when players win grand slams and different things she sends them a personal note she doesn't do it on social media um so she's just very true to who she is you know and and i thought the response was kind of what what we would expect where do you suspect that comes from um if only because that that seems sort of inconsistent with the times when it seems like players on the women's side are friendlier than they've ever been. Where, where do you think that attitude of her comes from? What's the source of that? I mean, I think probably her dad, when she was a young girl, kind of, you know, we're going to tournaments and we're here to win and we're not here to make friends. I also think it was the edge that she had. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think that she um, felt that she could be friends and, and try to uh, beat the girls on the court. Uh, I think she had a pretty tough upbringing um, when she was young and, and uh, living in, in some dorms and girls were picking on her and tough on her and making fun of her and stuff. So she just, you know, made a conscious effort that when she steps on the court, when she steps on the, on the, on the facility, and this is from the juniors that she's, you know, she respects everybody. And if somebody says hi to her, she'll say hi. She, you know, she doesn't spend any time in the player lounge. She doesn't spend any time in player dining. 
um, she does her job and she leaves and that's how it's always been. And uh, many people perceive that as maybe not being nice or whatever, but that's just the way she went about it. And that's the way she thought she needed to be success. You know, a lot of fakeness on the tour. A lot of people, you know, the one thing she'd always tell me is that, that she hated is that she, you know, you would be in the, in the player in the locker room. Okay you would see um, two girls that were just laughing and giggling and joking around and being friends in the locker room. 20 minutes later, one of those girls is on the court playing, and you can see the person outwardly rooting against that player they were just laughing and joking with in the locker room. You know, and right, all that, right. she's like, I just don't want to be, she's like, that happens all day long in the locker room. These girls that act like they're being, they're friends. And then the minute they're not there and they're on the court, the person's openly rooting against them, you know, and she just never wanted to be a part of that. Let me, let me ask you a, um, let me ask you a commercial question. We were joking last week. Um, I don't know if you heard when, I think when you and I first met, you had, you you were touting Maria as a prospect, and you she had this I forget what it was called speed mitten. Remember speed mitten? Yeah, yeah, um, I do. So we were joking, sort of when when you know when you and I met for the first time, you were touting this young teenage client who you thought was going to be a real player, and she, her endorsement was speed mitten, which was some kind of like pickleball predecessor, sort of a ba- bad yeah. mitten, speed badminton. Um, and we joked about that. Obviously, her commercial uh, portfolio has expanded since then. But I I did think it raised an interesting question of. What is a relationship in terms of brand building for an agent? What is a relationship, first of all, with brands that you sort of have a client grow out of? But also, what is a relationship with brands where they're clearly stepping stones to bigger deals? What happened to Speedman, I mean, in other words? Okay, so, so that deal was an interesting deal. I remember going through it. It was before she won Wimbledon, um, and somebody came to us and offered you know, a lot of money. Um, believed in Maria and, and all this kind of stuff. And um, I remember having the conversation with uh, Maria's father um, and debating whether this is something we're doing. I mean, we were, we made a very conscious effort. You got to remember when she was 16, she was finished the year ranked 31 in the world. She already won a WTA title. Um, so we had a pretty good feeling that, something great was coming. I mean, I don't think any of us thought she was going to win Wimbledon at 17, but we were of the, of the, we were concentrating on being very patient, uh, not doing any deals to close out any categories. Um, just being methodical, working everything on her development, uh, doing the right PR interviews, right. uh, trying to make sure, you know, she was known as a winner um and everything but then the speed mitten deal comes and you know they're offering a lot of money and we're debating and um you know it's expensive and uh, you know the travel and coaches and everything so you know we kind of thought that okay here's the product that is a category that is kind of never going to happen again so if we do you know if somebody came to us with a beverage and we did a beverage, a small beverage deal when she was 16, and then she wins Wimbledon, and then we can't get back in the beverage category because we've already that would not be smart agent work. But we felt in the end that speed mitten was a category that we're not going to close out if we do the deal. 
So to be honest, that was kind of more of a money grab. Um, at the time, she was adding a, a fitness trainer and traveling with a team and kind of justified that we would take this money and use that to invest in, in some more travel coaches and everything. The alternative racket sport category uh, was was closed, but plenty plenty of other yeah. doors, I suppose, uh, were left open. Um, let me ask you one more. Let me ask you one more question um, before we we give up the studio here. You mentioned this this was your dream job, and I'm I'm curious at this point in the game, you've sat in the boxes. Players have won majors. You've had players who have you know made nine figures of wealth. How closely does this mirror the life you envisioned? Well, um, I really didn't, I don't think I thought that far in advance. Like I just knew that I wanted to work. I was very, um, obsessive with Mark McCormick and, and IMG and that whole world. And just really wanted to work for this amazing company. I've had many opportunities to lead through my years. Um, but the company's always been great to me. I've always felt like I needed the global infrastructure to help me manage my global stars. Like I could never felt like do my clients justice if it was just me sitting in an office. I, I really believe that to this state that the, just the global experts that are around me in different fields. I mean, for example, you know, Lena had a very successful book. And I really believe that we should make it into a movie, just her story. I mean, I could sit at my desk for 20 years and not know how to make a book into a movie. But, you know, one flight out to Los Angeles to meet with, the, you know, the WME uh, film people who do this all day long and got in a room and within two hours, you know, said, okay, you guys take the lead on this. And within a couple of weeks, we had a, a huge deal with Sony pictures. And then, you know, that movie will be out this year. So those are things that you just need the resources. So I, I don't know. I just put my head down and tried to work and, and, you know, I got lucky a lot of places. I mean, if you look at my career, I was originally supposed to start in 2000 in Cleveland, Ohio. And two weeks before I moved to Cleveland, um, they told me that they want me to go to, Bradington instead of Cleveland because they have their bunch of young clients down there and nobody's looking after them and it's a total mess and you know and that's where I met Maria on the first day and Maria had all these kind of visa issues and and nobody was helping them and I came in and just kind of made their life a little easier and at the time I was still playing good tennis and I was practicing with her a lot and hit it off with the dad and before you know it you know I'm managing Maria Sharapova and then you know then I get lucky with Lena, um, you know, in 2009, you know, I was recruiting her for years, trying to get to her. The, the Chinese Tennis Association wouldn't let me get near her. Um, my friends at Nike kind of helped me backdoor to get to her. I, I met her in a, in a, in a Radisson hotel in New York in 2009. She was ranked like 25 or 30 in the world. And she just became, you know, free. Um, and she basically looked me in the eye and said, I have zero money. Um, I have had uh, several knee surgeries and I don't know how much longer I can do this, but you made Sharapova rich and I'm going to pick you as my agent. That's it. And, and, and 
and that's how it started, you know, and um, the first year or so, my relationship with Lee now is very rocky, um, you know, not that much trust, and, and, and then just little by little, I just, you know, I kept, I just really believed in her. She wanted, you know, all these deals, and I just kept telling her, let's just be patient. You're going to do great, and she moved up the rankings, and, 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 you know, she tells me later that the reason why she couldn't understand me. She never had anybody in her life that really believed in her and trusted that she was going to keep winning. And she thought that I was kind of full of it and, and she didn't know what to make of me, you know? So, you know, I've just had a lot of, lot of, you know, a lot of luck, you know, and, and then you get yourself around these great, amazing women. Um, I got lucky with Madison keys. You know, I, I, I was spending my, my parents live, she was training in Everett. I was, um, spending some time in Boca because my parents are there and got to know John Everett and, and, and stumble upon Madison Keys when she's 11 years old and sign her when she's 12. And, um, you know, so I just got lucky along the way and got to work with some amazing women and, 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 you know, I'm not putting anybody on the moon here. So, or saving anybody's life. So you just keep plotting and, 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 and try to, listen to these strong women um, about what their dreams are. And you're just trying to, you know, plot along each day, try to help them achieve their, their goals. And, you know, I'm proud. I'm proud of the work and the associations, but the relationships with these, with these women that I've had the, the fortunate to manage is, is pretty incredible. Listen to strong women is, is a great catchphrase to put on your business card. Um, this is great. I, I mean, I know, I think, I think there's, you, you meet someone in a Radisson Inn and then, Ten years later, they're mentioning you in their Hall of Fame speech. Is uh, there's, there's a nice, nice metaphor tucked in there. Um, this was great. I really, I really appreciate this. I mean, again, this was uh, we we had people, we had multiple people asking us for more sort of how do I work in tennis career advice, and uh, I'm glad we were able to do this. And you know, I think that you know, I think that if you want to, there's if you sit down, I think people don't realize if you sit down, I tell, I tell. Uh, kids that call me all the time. If you can just sit down and make a list of all the jobs that are in tennis, okay, you just go down it. There's many people that work for IMG and Octagon and Nike Tennis and Adidas Tennis and ATP and WTA and Tennis Channel and all the tournaments, Indian Wells, Miami, uh, ITF. You start listing, there's a lot of great opportunity in our sport. Um, and if you love tennis and you um, are passionate about it. There's a there's a place for you in this sport, and uh, and I hope people you know go for it. It's great advice. All right, um, get to work. Go uh, go go do some real work. This this was great though. Right, I Johnny. really appreciate this. Oh, yeah. and... No problem. I'll see you in a in a week or so. You got it. Thanks again. Thanks. All right, take you care. Got it. Bye. All right, that does it for this week's thanks to Max Eisenbutt. That was a good conversation. Um, learned a lot, and I hope you did too. Again, uh, just one of these fluky schedule things. We were supposed to talk to Max last week, and then uh, came the announcement that his client, Maria Sharapova, was retiring. So uh, we got two for the price of one here, a little bonus Maria Sharapova chatter. But uh, no, that was a good, good discussion and um, learned a lot. And I liked what he said, especially about if, if you're young and you like tennis and you have passion, there is a place for you um, other than being on one side of the net. So um, 
good, good to hear. Good conversation. We'll have another guest next week, perhaps from the Indian Wells Tennis Garden from the desert. We're heading out there. Um, but that will do it for this week. Subscribe, leave a review, keep the guest suggestions coming, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Jamie should be back next week as well. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll do it again in a week.